Welcome to the latest Fifth Step podcast with Fifth Step CEO Darren Ray and myself, Chris Don. Today, I'll be talking to Darren about uh, Brexit continuity planning uh, and the latest uh, cyber liability issues. Um, starting with cyber, um, I think the thing that um, brought to our attention recently was the uh, Morrison's data breach, which was reported in the papers um, only a couple of days ago. Um, I think anyone out there who hasn't heard, um, there was a recent UK court ruling that means that organisations can be held for, uh, liable for breaches of personal data, even if the act was malicious and the company could demonstrate that it had suitable controls, policies and procedures in place to protect their information. That's a bit worrying, isn't it, Darren? Um, I mean, people are looking to put in place these controls, but they might ask themselves, you know, what are we doing enough? What, what more can we do? And even if we do that, we're still going to get fined. So what's your answer to that? Yeah, I think that's a really good point, um, Chris. I guess in terms of what they can do and what more they can do and should they bother. Um, what they can do, um, Morrison seemed to have done a number of the right things. You know, I, I've not, FISTEP has no association with Morrison, so I, um, I'm not speaking from a position of knowledge of the internal operations. But yeah. from all the reports I've read, they seem to have uh, have a good process in place. In fact, the judge, in his uh, summing up, didn't hold Morrison's uh, accountable as such for any security failures or, or failures of process, but he did hold them accountable for the loss of data and the actions of uh, a former employee. So all of those things... Um, add up to the fact that Morrison's could actually demonstrate they'd done the right things. Now, yeah. as a result, their fine was around about, I think it was about 34% of the maximum. It's £170,000. The yeah. maximum at this current time is £500,000. So by my quick uh, maths, that's about 34%, or yeah. exactly 34%. Now, as things transition over to GDPR, obviously the fines go higher. Um, if we apply 34% to 24 million euros, uh, sorry, to 20 million euros, that would be an amount of around about uh, 6.7, um, you know, 7 million euros. That's uh, that's rounded up. Uh, that uh, a company could be fined. So obviously the amounts are, are far higher. Doesn't mean that a judge would come to exactly the same conclusion or indeed the the exact same uh, amount of fine. Maybe they still decided that 170,000 pounds was the right amount. Mm. But the reason that it was such a a smaller amount yes. was purely, I believe, based on what the, the judges said, because Morrisons could demonstrate that they'd taken the right actions, that they had the right processes, the right procedures, the right protections in place. And what's more, it would appear um, as if Morrisons, when the breach was discovered, took the right action. They had a breach um, incident response plan in place. They took the right actions, and you know they've also guaranteed, which obviously they didn't have to. They've also guaranteed that none of their associates, none of their staff, uh, will be out of pocket as a result of this breach. It's quite quite often in these cases, it's actually the covering up of the thing, not the actual breach itself, which is you know causes the most resentment and uh, and reputational damage, isn't it? Yeah, actually, I mean, having read the reports, and um, I'll reiterate, I've, I've got no insider knowledge on this, but having read the reports, I think that Morrison's actually come out of this um, looking, you know, looking quite good. It looks like their processes and procedures mm. uh, were quite robust. It looks as if they did what they were supposed to do. I don't doubt there were some lessons learnt and some improvements that they've made since that time. You know, bearing in mind that this breach actually took place um, in 2014, so you know, um, three plus years ago now. Yeah. So I don't doubt they've made some improvements since that time. But 
from my perspective, the, the processes and procedures look quite robust and they look to have acted in the way that you'd um, hope and that they, you know, they've responded quickly. As you say, if they'd covered it up, it's quite possible that the reputational damage would have been uh, far, you know, far higher, far mm. worse. And also that the, um, the, the, the data may have stayed out there for longer, actually, than exposing uh, their staff and associates to a far greater risk of uh, compromising of their identity or, or of their personal information, their bank account information. Mm. I think another thing that came out from one of the reports that you were talking about, you mentioned to me, was that they also incurred £2 million worth of legal fees in this. So a lot of the things we've been talking about, and we've talked about the fines, um, whether the fines are going to be 4% or, you know, yes. £20 million. But the legal fees, £2 million, uh, that that's, would be... Um, not, it's not obviously just a cost incurred to the company, but it must be something that would be very much of interest to the in-house legal councils out there. Mm. Uh, obviously, uh, legal firms that are involved, they're large corporate clients. I mean, they, they need to take a, get a real good handle on what GDPR or cyber, cyber, liability, cyber liability breaches might mean to their clients, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. And this is why, you know, we've spoken a number of times, Chris, in terms of having a, uh, an incident response plan, uh, you know, a breach plan. So yeah. what happens, you know, should your data get breached, um, whether that be hacked, whether it be taken by a, an employee, whether it just get lost, mm-hmm. um, you, know, um, you know, left hopefully not on a USB stick on a train, for example. But, you know, these things have unfortunately happened in the past. Hopefully organisations are taking the right steps to ensure that they don't happen again. But having uh, an incident response plan or a breach response plan is not only a big part of GDPR, it's also a big part of the protection that an organisation will have, you know, making sure they can respond quickly and in the right way and that everyone knows what their what their part is um, in that response so that they're not making it, making it up as the situation evolves. So would you say when you're building your incident response plan and your business continuity plan, obviously the people that need to be involved aren't just the PR teams and marketing and all those guys, but... Now, your, your in-house legal counsel needs Oh, absolutely to, right, yeah. So, absolutely, yeah. I mean, you need to define the scenarios that you're protecting yourself against. Is that, so, what, you, is that what people are doing? Is, is there scenario planning based around cyber liability and uh, breaches that, that you've encountered? Some organisations are taking that more seriously than others. Um, some um, recognise they still have more work to do on that, um, certainly in the ones that... Um, you know, that Fifth Step has uh, worked with and is working with, what we're seeing is that, on the whole, the uh, breach response plans are, are not as mature as uh, we'd like to see them. They don't recognise all of the scenarios. They perhaps recognise being hacked or, or something of that nature, um, but they don't recognise a malicious act by a, a current employee um, or data being lost on, on public transports or, or something like that. Yeah. Well, they perhaps do recognise some of those, but not the full extent. So making sure that the scenarios are recognised and the, the nuances of difference between those two may be that you don't consider them to be different at all. You know, any breach, um, you know, any breach is a breach. It looks like and a new scenario that needs to build into it now, then, according to the report that we've seen, is that um, the possibility of workers bringing class action claims against companies. I mean, in the UK, we're not as advanced down that road as, as they are, you know, as we are with our friends in, in the US and, yep. and, and other, other jurisdictions. But now it's uh, now a precedent's been set, um, and whatever the, the judge ruling is in terms of, you know, the extent of the work that Morrison might have made. The fact is, he did rule that the class action was appropriate. Money, well, the appropriate money should be awarded. So that 
now, with that precedent bearing in mind, bearing in mind the English English legal system, other companies are going to have to start factoring that in, aren't they? I think you're right, and um, you know, obviously, neither of us are lawyers, so um, you know, not commenting on the legal aspects of that. But it is a very interesting development. Um, I think there was over five thousand five hundred of Morrison's employees um, who were involved in the class action. So, mm. uh, and as you say, not something that takes place. Typically, class action isn't something that typically takes place um, in English law, but it'll be interesting to see whether that is a precedent that's now been uh, set and accepted. Yeah. Can you uh, give us an update on the, on the GDPR, where we are now? We've only got, what, just five months or so to go, haven't we? Um, in terms less of, than five months less now. Than five uh, months? Yeah, less than five months. I mean, since you wrote your uh, book, um, the, the little book of GDPR, which is available from all good online, that <laughs> yeah. good old from, online from, retailer, Amazon, from, from Amazon, <laughs> from, from Amazon who are actually are building a few shops out in the US, I gather now, so they uh, are they're going to bricks and water, but that's, yeah. a, that's, that's an aside. But what's the, uh, what's the latest news on that? I mean, since you wrote your book, there has been a number of uh, developments in that area. Can you give us a quick update? Yeah, sure. Um, GDPR continues to evolve, and and even post-implementation, it will continue to evolve. There are going to be aspects that um, need to be refined. Uh, There are aspects where there are still questions, and the practical implementations and implications um, haven't yet been uh, fully explored, even though they're part of GDPR. So, one example of that is um, IP address. Uh, the you know the the implications of an IP address being considered personal information. Um, that means that all web logs, you know, web servers, um, very regularly maintain data and hold data about who's visited, um, when they've visited, what they've downloaded, those kind of things. That's considered to be personal information now. So the effects of that on all organisations are going to be felt as um, as changes are made and the practicalities of that being a fact is also something that um, you know, needs to needs to be absorbed and understood by business and, and then fed back to the various data protection authorities around Europe as to whether you know, there, there's a practicality in maintaining that level of uh, compliance or indeed whether an IP address is personal information because it does, you know, it can change. Mm. Uh, the, you know, some organisations will have an IP address that lasts or that they own, uh, but when you are browsing from home, for example, if you switch your your router off, your broadband router, and uh, switch it back on again, there's a good chance you may actually get another IP address. Mm. So uh, an IP address only has a certain lifespan, or uh, okay. you know, it's only given to you temporarily. So there may be some pushback on on, on things like IP address. But some of those things are going to need to be worked through and actually proven and discussed. Um, alongside GDPR, we obviously have the e-privacy regulation, which was originally going to come in to force at the same time as GDPR, but uh, isn't going to. They've still um, still got comments uh, being okay. made. And that has a far greater impact on the ability to use personal data for marketing. Um, so that's a good update. Uh, they will, uh, you know, a good update to that regulation. That will probably come in now. I suspect in you know more like 20, you know May 2019 rather than uh, May 2018. So we'll see what um, what occurs out of that. But there's still comments okay. being made on that. So I mean, fifth step. I know from having spoken to you, you you've been um, invited in to well by a number of organisations to advise them on uh, what they need to be uh, do to be compliant with GDPR. I mean, primarily in the financial services sector. I know, but you're working Others with, as well. You're though, working yeah. across other sectors yeah. too. But you've been working with a property company. Uh, yeah, um, uh, yeah. We have um, clients of you know in many different sectors and across the world. I mean, many of our um, 
listeners in the US, some of whom are are, are clients, welcome, um, some of whom are obviously not, but uh, we're doing a lot more work in the US now as uh, the US market realises or is being asked by their European clients um, yeah. to demonstrate their compliance with GDPR. So it's not just the European aspect. You know, I know you know that, Chris, because we've been talking about it cool. a fair bit on the podcast about how organisations around the world are going to be impacted by this. But um, lots of our new clients uh, that we've been uh, signing up over the last few months are actually based in the you know across the US, and um, they are now coming to terms with what they need to do. To is this not coming as, as a surprise to them then? So when you're going in there and saying, "Yep, yeah, you know, you're affected too," they're still quite shocked to hear this. Um, some organisations are. Um, uh, some believe that they uh, that they don't have to uh, be uh, you know uh, complying quite the same way, um, but it's very often the the pressure from European clients uh, that's actually persuading them and actually um, overcoming any. Um, any doubts at all? Where you know, when they get asked to fill in a you know a third party data uh, data um, data transport contract yeah. and things like that, um, um, you know, many many organisations are saying, well, why are we signing a third party, a third country contract? Uh, why are we not a first country or a second country and things like that? Yeah. And um, you know, the feedback then from their clients is, well, you guys need to be compliant with GDPR, and that's very often where we're getting recommended in. Um, the thing with um, it occurs to me we, when we talk about GDPR, we, it's often talked about with very negative connotations. It's all about you need to fulfil this to, to achieve that, but I mean, people talk less, less so about potentially the opportunities that are involved in, you know, in terms yeah. of auditing your your technology and your processes and culture, I suppose. Um, to see how you can make yourself a better um, organisation that's fit for purpose in terms of you know, data protection going forward. There are not just that and using that to unlock your data. There are definite benefits, Chris. It's not something that people are probably going to undertake because of the benefits that GDPR brings. It's more a silver lining to the, to the stormy cloud, if you like, mm. that there is a, an upside. It does mean that your business processes should be more efficient. It should mean that they are more, obviously, more... Uh, data protection aware and that your client's data should be better protected. One of the big benefits that I think is going to come though is that increasingly individuals want their data to be protected as well as they think it is already mm-hmm. and, and in many cases it's not and I think the for our US listeners I think the, the challenge here is going to be that um, many organisations in the US are going to be finding themselves under increasing pressure to provide that level of protection um, that is perhaps being provided in other parts of the world by you know, GDPR and things like that. I think that breaches such as Equifax and, and others, you know, we had uh, Yahoo and um, Evernote and others yes. um, you know, over the last uh, couple of years, I think those are you know, making individuals start to consider how safe their data is and start to consider what their data is being used for. And those are all the questions that GDPR and European data protection is actually there to ask and to put the individual, the data subject, in the terms of uh, uh, you know, the GDPR and the Data Protection Act, put them back in control of how their data is used and what it's used for and that they've got permission and the right to say, no, you're not using it for that. I never agreed for it to be used for that purpose. Okay, well, we've talked about GDPR, which, as we all know, is an EU-inspired regulation. Um, Sticking with uh, matters related to the European Union, 
and there's a great issue of our time, certainly in the UK, and actually <laughs> wide, wide, wider afield, it's, it's probably a, a global issue in some, some respects, is uh, Brexit. Now, Brexit mm. is obviously not going to be, uh, it's not going to be holding back GDPR, it's still going to go ahead, whatever whatever happens, That's with, right. the way Brexit. we deal with the European Union. Um, but you know, there's lots of things happening in terms of like you know, Lloyd's managing agents or companies in the UK opening representative offices in Europe now um, and mitigating against potential um, issues that might arise with Brexit. So in the conversations that you've been having um, with you know, colleagues, peers and you know, clients in, in, in the market, what are, they, what are they asking you about you know, what's, going, what's going on? So many of the financial services organisations are treating this almost as a, a business as usual activity it's it's change it's you know project and program change so um, some of them will have uh, brexit projects um, those will vary in complexity from um, expanding the size of their office in Dublin Belgium you know insert European city name here hmm. some of them will be as complex or, or simplistic as that others will be more complex as depending on the nature of the business they're, they're doing but financial services are not the be-all and end-all of Brexit. You might be mistaken in believing that to be the case when you listen to the news some, uh, some evenings. Yeah. But other organisations and other industry sectors obviously have slightly different views and different plans, and they perhaps aren't as international as financial services tends to be. Um, and for those organisations, the conversations tend to be you know, slightly different. How can we do this? How do we manage this, how do we implement this, you know, what kind of project should we, we, we be running and what nature should our uh, Brexit continuity plan um, be taking at this point so in what, time? So, so what nature should it be uh, taking? I suppose, do you, do we, are there different categories? I mean, do you do it differently if you're an SME or if you're a large global multinational company or, or, yeah, or are they start, broadly the same? It's starting with the end in mind. They all, all have... Um, some some commonality about them, but it's starting with the end in mind. What is it that you want or need to achieve, and what Brexit outcome are you planning for? Uh, most organisations are planning for the most extreme form of Brexit, so you know that might be um, uh, WTF, WT, uh, World Trade Federation, no, WTF, yeah. Uh, yeah, World Trade Federation rules. WTO, no, 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 WTO, yeah, no, 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 no. Well, yeah, WTF is that's, uh, World. That's wrestling. Isn't wrestling, it? yeah, that's right. Yeah, I don't know why I just suddenly had an image, an image of giant haystacks, 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 and Big Daddy crossed my mind from going back to the seventies, world of sport. Yeah, I, your American listeners here are probably thinking, what are they talking about? Yeah, indeed. <laughs> but well, imagine WTF, but uh, calmed down and made far more polite. Um, so uh, yeah, WTO rules rather than WTF rules. Although WTF rules might be more humorous. Oh, 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 uh, anyway, um, moving on. We digress. Yeah, we do. Um, so uh, many organisations are planning for WTO rules. Um, they're you know they're uh, assuming that they're not going to be able to um, you know bring. Uh, either finished items or indeed uh, component parts uh, across borders nearly as easily as they do at the moment. They're also looking at skills shortages and, um, and personnel shortages. And that may be leading them to consider setting up a, a, you know, a, a, another office or another uh, factory in other locations, whether that be you know, France, Germany, Belgium, uh, again, insert European country or city here. So um, it's really starting with the end in mind. Know what you want to protect your organisation against. Know where you need to be. Understand your exposure. You know where are your vendors based? Where are your customers based? Uh, where are the component parts coming from? If uh, if that's not included in your in your vendor discussions, because yeah. if 
even if you're not shipping them across um, international boundaries um, or across Europe, um, if your vendor is doing so, the likelihood is that you're going to be impacted by um, you know, delays at the very least in, in, in importing component parts into the UK. In so are those, are those sort of some of the questions? You've got a, you know, a large team here at Festep that advise people across a range of issues and you know, you've got people working on, you know, on Brexit. So what, what sort of other questions are, are they being asked? What are the, the, the challenges that they've encountered so far? Around, around, the, Bre around the Brexit side, that, you know, those, are, those are some of the key ones there or, the, or some of the most common ones. There are individual um, questions that individual clients are, 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 are posing due to their specific situation. But they tend to be you know, not something that's necessarily going to be useful to a wider audience. Uh, you know, there are particular challenges of we buy this specific component from here, it's shipped across here, it's painted here, it's shipped across there. And because it's um, dealt with, um, you know, within the European Union, there's no um, filling out of, um, you know, um, the... Uh, the paperwork to cross your uh, cross European country uh, borders. It's just driven across on the back of a lorry, or uh, however it's actually transported between the various um, you know, factories and processes. Um, so, fifth step of um, you've got a, a sort of some news to to announce in, in terms of personal news related to the companies. You've got a new sort of quick start uh, range of options that you can provide to people in terms of you know, even trademarked. Um, it's, it's it's unique to fifth step. So what, what, what are you doing in that area that could help people to now understand what their, their, their GDPR needs or indeed their Brexit needs? Yeah, we've always had the, uh, the capability to provide assessments and help organisations understand where they are. So really the fifth step quick start assessment is bringing all of our assessments under the same umbrella, treating them to, you know, giving them the same treatment. So there's lots of um, standardisation around uh, uh, the graphics and the presentation and in, in uh, indeed, the deliverables that are, uh, are output as well. So the quick start approach is <clears throat> that's useful to organisations looking at both Brexit and GDPR, I guess, is, um, well, the, the GDPR, uh, the fifth step quick start GDPR assessment, that will So help. how does that start? How does that operate? You know, what, are the, what are the logistics um, in terms of that, organising that for, say, a, a client at the moment? Or, uh, yeah, or okay, that's a good or question. Or a new, new organisation you started working with or will be started working Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So um, we perform the assessment that's uh, very often consultant-led. It can be uh, self-assessment, but usually it's consultant-led. We run through and assess the, the current maturity um, of an organisation in their GDPR project and programme if it's underway already. Um, helping or providing a report at the end of it that gives... Um, a roadmap, um, laying out the path from where the organisation is today, uh, the items and the areas that they need to address uh, to get them through to compliance for May 25th. Yes. Um, so there's a full report and a full roadmap that, um, that lays that information out and then obviously Fifth Step can help the organisation with that implementation if that's appropriate or very often they'll go off and do it themselves. They just needed the guidance around what needed to be done as opposed to um, you know, needing the ongoing consultancy. But it works both ways. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you've got, I mean, one of the example, it's not a Brexit example, but uh, Paul Chadburn just joined the organisation mm -hmm. you know, um, at the end of last year, and he's, he's rolling out a, a quick start uh, assessment for the application landscape. That's right. So, um, you know, what are, what are the sort of, you know, five key stages? Or is that a bit, that might be possibly asking a bit, but how, 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 would, how would the, say, the application landscape uh, look in, in the quality of your roadmap? Well, the, okay, so the application landscape for 
uh, for listeners who aren't uh, um, familiar with the phrase, the application landscape is um, really helping organisations get the most out of their applications, making sure they're fit for purpose at the very you know, high level. Um, you know, are others in the industry using different applications and that's making them more agile and more able to do pick up uh, business or do business more quickly or efficiently. Mm. Um, so it's really about making sure that your applications and the um, the way that they're all fitting together and working together is appropriate for your organisation as, um, as a whole. And there's a number of different steps, and uh, I'll probably let Paul talk um, through the, um, the full details of those. I don't want to use different terminology to what yeah. Paul's used. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's, a, um, there's a very good uh, brochure that's downloadable from our, um, from our website that gives all of that information. And there'll be an infographic and uh, Paul's uh, blog on the subject, and I think he's doing a podcast as well yeah. um, on the subject. Well, I think it's. Um, I think the thing you mentioned there is agility. Is the word you mentioned. Mm. So sort of bringing it back to the to Brexit or you know the GDPR. I think agility, and flexibility is probably one of the key things that you need to embed into the organisation. Uh, absolutely, modern businesses um, has or modern businesses have to be able to adapt to, to change, whether that be Brexit change or whether that just be competitive change or whether that be innovation. They need to be able to adapt in the systems and, and processes and indeed people um, that are operating within this business need to be able to um, absorb that change. And the change needs to be implemented quickly and efficiently too, which is why you know, FISTEP is working with a lot of organisations, implementing new systems or overseeing the implementation of those systems, making sure that they're implemented quickly and efficiently and appropriately so that the organisation gets the the maximum use and maximum benefit out of those um, systems as quickly as possible and that they're not hamstrung by delays that mean that the project is delayed by you know six months or things like that. Yeah, sure. Okay, well I think that's covered off the, 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 the bit of a quick quicker run through of two two big subjects. We'll be discussing them in much more detail uh, as we go no, as we head into two thousand and eighteen certainly um, the GDPR is, is a very pressing issue and people need to be thinking about that right now because you've, you've literally only got five months uh, to go if you're out there. Four months now, Chris. Yeah, four, 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 months. four months to go. So, obviously, uh, Darren is uh, very keen, you know, happy to speak to anyone about that. Uh, if they want to drop him a line over at his email address, uh, darren.ray at fifthstep.com. Or, you know, we have um, a range of uh, social media and ways of getting in touch with us we've got inquiries at fifthstep.com as well which is another email address, address yeah and uh is the website um at fifthstep on uh, on twitter yeah and as um, we mentioned there's the little book of gdpr which you can download from uh, amazon and it's actually they've sold quite a few copies now so it's uh, it's it's it's, it's, um, it's yeah, uh, works well full of and lots of people are commenting on it earlier in the week it was uh, the uh uh, the number five, um, I'm just trying to remember the category now, I think it was the business law um, category, it was um, the uh, fifth bestseller uh, yeah. in that uh, section, the top in the GDPR books. Um, so, well, then, yeah. Well, congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. I say everyone's got a book in them, but I've yet to, I've yet to write my one, but... Um, Still, I'm, still, it's a work in progress. I'm sure it'd be uh, very pictorial based, uh, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, the, the, the GDPR for, for Mr. Men. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Men and the GDPR. <laughs> but uh, okay, so thanks to all our listeners for, for tuning in to this, uh, this podcast. Um, we'll, we, the next podcast, we're going to be talking about uh, the mergers and acquisitions environment.
environment. So that's going to be coming up very, very shortly. But lots of interesting things happening, certainly in the financial services world, uh, particularly relevant maybe to the insurance and reinsurance world, uh, which is facing all sorts of challenges. So Darren's theory, and I think it's not just Darren's theory, but it's widely shared. Um, they said there could be a fair bit of consolidation going on in the market. So uh, anyone who's interested in tuning into that, that will be up very shortly. Um, and we look forward to hearing you, uh, well, for you tuning in and talking to you about the M&A environment. Absolutely. And if anyone has any uh, questions or topics they want us to cover, then please do send them through to podcast at fifthstep.com. More than happy to answer those. Or indeed, contact us via Twitter or via LinkedIn or via, via the email addresses that Chris mentioned earlier on. Or even Darren's, you're on LinkedIn, of course, as we mm. all are these days, so that's another, that's another avenue. But anyway, thanks for today, Darren, and look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks very much. Thank you.